That's what we're here to celebrate this morning. That's what we're here to talk about. That, that unrealized treasure in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, 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 I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20. John chapter 20 and 21. In John's gospel, the resurrection, the story of the resurrection is told in these two chapters. And what I want to do this morning is I want to remind you and just give you a quick outline, ah, because you've actually heard it before, give you a quick outline of the first chapter so that we can really get to the second. I want to get to that second chapter because that's where the treasure is. So John chapter 20 goes something like this. In the first 10 verses, he's not here. He is not here. That's the word that's echoed there because Mary goes to the tomb and he is not here. Peter and John hear her report and they run to the tomb and he is not here. Well, he is not here because as he appears to Mary afterwards, verses 11 and following, he appears to Mary, then he appears to the disciples in the upper room. He is risen. He is risen just as he said. He is not here. The tomb is empty because he is risen and, and then he appears. Remember Thomas? Thomas' story is told there in John chapter 20. Thomas was the one who said, unless I see it for myself, I can't believe it. This is too good to be true. And yet it's true. He is risen indeed. That's the story of Thomas in the last, in the last um, five verses of the chapter, 24 to 29 or so. And then you get to verse 30. And verse 30, verse 30 and 31 give you John's purpose. This is why he wrote. This is what he has for us here. John chapter 20 and verse 30. If you're in the Pew Bible, I'm, I'm on page 907. I tell you that because I want you to follow along. If you brought your own Bible, wonderful. And you'll find where things are in the page there. You know it's just right there. But if not, uh, you'll, have a, you'll have a Bible in front of you. Because this is what it says. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. There's more that could be told. There's, there's, can't fit it all in. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. Now, what does that mean? We, we've read over that, that phrase and we get that. Okay, these things are written. The gospel is there. John wrote that book. He wrote that whole story, all the details of it, so that we could believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing we would have life in his name. Is that just something future? Is that just something that is meant to be my sort of eternal life after death insurance? That I've got that covered so now I can somehow go on with life? Is, the, is the eternal life in his name only in the future or is it actually for the present? Is eternal life something that does not ever end so it certainly stretches into the future but because it not only does it not have an ending but eternal life has already begun. That we have eternal life. We've already stepped into it, and we can be stepping into this new life, this eternal life, this life in his name already in this present mess. Now, what does that mean? Well, that's what the next chapter is about. That's why I think it's the real treasure. It's one thing for us to think about and philosophize and affirm our faith about something yet ahead of us in the future. It's another thing to say, how do we step into that life here? Can I already step into this eternal life in his 
name. That's what chapter 21 is about, you see, because we, we, we recognize we recognize that, that this life is, is messed up, it's mixed up, it's not quite right, it's not as it should be, right? We recognize that, we know that, we feel that. There's, there's a certain futility in this life. Ecclesiastes is all over that. It's a strange book, but it rings so true. Emptiness, futility, striving after wind. Where is this life in his name? Well, John chapter 21 gives us a, a, a picture of what it is to be restored from that futility into the fullness of life that God intends for us, God's purpose for us. And it tells us something about to be, what it is to be restored into relationship with the one in whom we have life. So restored from futility and into relationship. Has life been just a little busy Does life feel like that hamster wheel and you wish you could get off? Does life feel like you go round and round and yet it's supposed to be more than this? That's what John's writing about. That's what I want us to see as we we go into chapter 21 of the Gospel of John this morning. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to begin reading. We're going to read a a section at a time and then a few comments about that. Before we read, let's pray. Let's ask God to open up his word to us. Father, thank you, Lord, that you have given us your truth. Thank you that you have given us your word. Thank you, Father, that this word concerning the risen Savior and life in his name is real. It's true. And it's not merely real and true. It's here. It's not far away from us. It's right here for us. So, Lord, by your Spirit, open up your word to us even this morning that we might know something more about life in our risen Savior, that we might be able to step into it as you've intended us to do. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 21. So this follows those resurrection appearances that I've already described, that he is not here, he is risen, he is risen indeed. You've, you've heard those that outline before, now you, now you know where it comes from, John chapter 20. So then, John chapter 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, which is also the Sea of Galilee. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, who's called the twin, and and Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and two others of his disciples were together. There were seven of them. Some of you are now going back and counting. It's okay. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. So they said to him, well, not much going on. We'll go with you. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So there it is. Resurrection has just happened. The disciples are going fishing. Well, is there anything wrong with going fishing? Are the disciples sitting here? Are they taking a big misstep? I mean, they're going fishing. Well, is fishing a sin? No. Fishing isn't a sin. After all, they've got to eat, right? What are they? Are they? They're fishermen. They've got to eat. They know where to get food. The food's swimming around out there. We just got to go and get some of it. And so they're going fishing. They, they were told by Jesus to go ahead of him to Galilee, and he would meet them there. So while they're waiting for Jesus, they're going fishing. All of that makes sense. There's, there's nothing wrong with fishing, but neither is there anything new life-ish about it, is there? This is status quo. This is things continuing as they were. And we sense, even though there's nothing wrong with fishing, there's something wrong with that. 
Life continuing just as it was. There's nothing new life-ish there. Didn't Jesus say, I will make you fishers of men, and yet here they are again, fishers of fish. You know, it's, 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 it's okay, but it's secondary, is the, I, I, I think is what we're supposed to just assume out of the story, that, that Jesus is risen. The tomb is empty. They, he meets them there in the upper room and out of fear comes faith and it's too good to be true and Thomas can't grab hold of it and he appears to them again. He said, be not unbelieving but believe. Touch, my, touch me and feel me. Take some food to eat. Put your finger into my, the nail prints and know that it's him. Jesus who died is risen. This is the game changer. This is bigger than that Easter egg. Everything has changed. And they're going, what are we going to do? Everything's different. Nothing's the same. Everything we thought it was all up, it's, 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 it's right side up. Let's go fishing. It just it seems kind of anticlimactic, doesn't it? Okay, so they're fishing. They're fishing in futility. They're fishing and they're not catching. These guys fish like I fish. They fish kind of like the, well, it's sure a nice day to be out on the water, isn't it? It's so peaceful and quiet out here because there aren't any fish. That's what they're fishing like. Futility, emptiness, frustration, not realizing what it's supposed to be. Have you fished like that? Have you lived like that? going through the motions faster and faster, working harder and harder, can't ever quite seem to get what it's all supposed to be about. In the midst of their busy distraction, Jesus shows up. They don't know it's him yet. There's just a question from the shore. Hey, hey, how's it going? You catching anything? Let's read that, verses verses 4 to 8. Just as the day was breaking, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. Then Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. He put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. They were not far from land, about a hundred yards off. So, they're not catching anything. You know, when you're not catching anything, the last thing you're hoping for is for some guy to come along. Hey, how's it going? Catching anything? No. We're not catching anything. Can't you see the boat's riding real high in the water? There's not, we're not all full of fish out here. In fact, we have, been, we have been dropping the nets and pulling them in again all night long, and we're not getting anything. There are no fish here. And what's all the worse is the guy on the shores got a suggestion. Now, when you're fishing and you're not catching The last thing you need is some guy to come along who's not even fishing, apparently, who hasn't caught any, as far as you know, and he's got a better idea for you. 
right? That's just what you're looking for, a suggestion. We're just sitting here. We're not catching anything. Hey, guys, maybe somebody will come along on the shore there. Maybe they'll tell us what to do differently. That's what the disciples are thinking, right? Yeah, maybe. That's what you were thinking this morning. You thought, you know, I'm going to come to church this morning. I'm hoping there that, that maybe somebody there could tell me what I should be doing. Is that what you were thinking? When, well, you're in luck because I'm a pastor. And, you know, pastors, it's one of those neat vocations where you're actually supposed to meddle in other people's stuff. I love it. Oh, actually, I don't really love it, but it, it happens. It, it, it might happen this morning, I hope so. Because Jesus does have a suggestion. He does have something to say. He says, cast your net on the right side of the boat. You say, well, there's finally something I can use from church. There's a right side and a wrong side to fish from. If you fish on the right side, you catch. If you fish on the left side, apparently you don't catch fish. So now you can take that. Church has been practical this morning, okay? Now you know what side to fish from. There it is, right there. It's biblical. Right there in the, in, the, in the Gospel of John. It doesn't get any more biblical than that. Cast your net on the right side. And so what do the guys in the boat say? Right. The right side. Here we've been all night long. We have been dropping the nets over. And we have been circling around. And we have been dragging them back up again, empty. And dropping them down and circling around and dragging them back up again, empty. And this is at night when the fish can't see the nets. Now it's morning. Now the sun has come up. Now they can see the net and avoid it. And you tell us all we got to do is throw the net off the other side of the boat and there we'll catch fish. There aren't any fish. There's nothing out here. We're fishermen. We know this. It would be frustrating if it didn't have a ring of familiarity about it. Because didn't this happen before? Wasn't Peter fishing? And Jesus came along and he said, Put, cast your net on the other side. And he did. And he caught so many fish that it tore the nets. It broke the net. They couldn't pull them in. There were so many fish. And and Peter falls down. He said, depart from me, Lord, because I'm a sinful man. So there's something about this echoing around in Peter's mind that maybe they go ahead and do it. They still don't know it's the Lord, but they throw the net off the other side of the boat, off the right side of the boat, and there are so many fish that they can't pull them all in. There are a lot of fish, and the boat is leaning from the weight of the fish, and John leans over and tells Peter it's the Lord. And Peter doesn't lean over. Peter jumps over, and he heads for shore. He's not taking the slow boat in, no siree. He is going for the shore because he is going to press toward Jesus. He wants his Savior. He wants to be near the one who has forgiven him. And nothing, not even the greatest catch of his life, is going to delay him or get in his way. So Peter plunges in. Peter is all in, heading for the shore, boat coming in behind them. We pick it up in verse 9. When they got... Out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it already. Jesus had been fishing. And bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. He he invites them to contribute something of what, don't you love it, what you just caught? Really? That's a very gracious description, isn't it? Bring some of what you just caught. 
And so Simon Peter went aboard, and he hauled the net ashore. He drags it in. They couldn't lift it. It was probably 300 pounds of fish at least. They drag it to the shore. It's full of large fish, 153 of them. You know, there are a lot of all kinds of fanciful suggestions as to what that 153 means. You can run those numbers all kinds of ways. And Josh Lowen is just saying, okay, what is it? What is the 153? What does that mean? After a lot of study, I think I've discovered what it means. It means that there's a lot of fish. (laughs) There's a lot of them there. And yet, this is real. This is accurate. This isn't like your fish stories. This isn't like, well, it was about this big. No, this is exact. This is precise. This is accurate. This is real. There were a whole lot of fish, far more than any of them or their friends had taken in in one haul before. And so there are, there's a lot of fish, and yet, in this true story, the net is not broken. That's the difference from before, isn't it? Before the net was broken, but now on the other side, and the only thing different here that I can see in the story is we're on the other side of the resurrection. Now, on the other side of the resurrection, there is the gospel's power. If there are going to be fishers of men, there's, a, there's perhaps a parallel here. These fishers of men and their nets are no longer these string-made things. Their nets are going to be the gospel of Christ, but it is unique, it is strong, it is powerful in this, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That's what makes the difference. Christianity is not simply one other religion among the religions of the world. This is the only one where our Lord, our Savior, the Son of God himself, the one that we worship, has himself gone to the grave for us and then himself come back, risen from the dead. Nothing else like that on earth. There's power in those broken nets. Jesus himself is risen. And this is the the third time it says that he revealed himself to his disciples. You remember the first time was with the disciples together without Thomas. And then he reveals himself to Thomas. It's too good to be true, but it is true. The third time, this is like the feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus provides abundantly 153 fish for them to share together. And you know, in the midst of all that has happened, I kind of think that not one of those seven that morning grabbed a quick fish McMuffin by the fireside and headed back to the boat to do more fishing. I don't think that happened. I think this is the stepping into that life in his name that we long for, that we hunger for, that we want to have and can have, and here it is in front of us. You and I want to step into this story. You and I want to step in closer there by the fire with Jesus. How do we do that? And respond to his invitation. He's the one who calls to come, to come and join him there. Come and join him for that meal. Come and join him there by the fire. Be restored to God's purposes. What God has called these men out for, what God has called his church, those who believe in Christ, he's called us to something better than just, I'm going fishing. He's called us to new life in him. And how do we take, how do we like Peter? Let's step into the story for a minute. I'll be John. I'll, I'll lean in a little bit. Well, I should lean in a little bit. And it's Jesus. It's the Lord. And you're Peter. How do you plunge in? How do you pursue? How do you press closer? I said I have a suggestion for you. This is Easter Sunday. And you're all here. 
Easter Sunday is one of those Sundays that we come to church even if we don't always come to church. Easter is a Sunday that we want to come to church. We realize this is what it's all about. The resurrection is what every Sunday is about. So this is a time to be here. And if you want to press closer to the Lord, can I say it very, very clearly? Come back next week. Come back the week after that. Why? Because if you want to press into following this risen Savior, doesn't it make sense to gather with others who are following him? This is not something we're supposed to do on our own. Imagine, go back to that little charcoal fire for a moment, okay? That's a little charcoal fire where Jesus is cooking breakfast. There's an object lesson there. Let's say you take one of those coals out of that fire. You pull it back just a little bit. You pull it back away from the others, and what happens? It cools down. It loses its glow. It cools off. It can't warm anything else around it because it itself is no longer warm. It cools. What do you do? Scoop that coal back over towards the others again. Bring it in close to the others, and it begins to warm back up again. And it glows too, just like the others, and they radiate that warmth together. That's kind of what it is to be a Christian. We're not meant to do this in isolation. This is the family of God. This is the body of Christ. And we are meant to live this life that he has given us connected to one another. We serve him corporately as well as individually. If you try to do this thing solo, it does not work so well. I know I've been there. It doesn't work so well. I need the company of other believers and followers of Jesus Christ. And so do you. Step number one, plunging into the water, come back, come back. Gather together with other growing believers who also want to follow him, and you'll find yourself following him better. Can I give you another suggestion? I mentioned that devotional guide. There's a 10-day Easter devotional. It's meant from Easter. 10 days that you can take this. Maybe you don't have a regular devotional habit. Maybe you kind of hear some and there's some. I read a little here and there, but, but it, yeah, there isn't a habit developed. Okay, that's easy to have happen. But can I just suggest, take that little guide and use that for 10 days. That's all I ask for, 10 days. A few minutes, maybe in the morning, maybe in the middle of the day, a few minutes for 10 days. If you do that, you'll form a habit and you will have that hunger filled as well and you'll say, wow, that, that has made a difference. This has been good. If there is a longing within you, it, 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 it isn't from you. It is the Lord's invitation. It is his call and you can come near. And that's one of the ways you could do that. For, for some of you, you say, well, okay, but I, I, I do gather regularly with other growing believers. I Okay, I, I do have a, actually a devotional habit. Okay, well, let's stretch it beyond you then. What if you took one of those prayer guides that I mentioned for the community? What if you took that and said, I am going to press my prayer life out beyond my circumstances. I'm going to pray for people around me. I'm going to pray for situations around me. I'm going to pray for others who are somewhat like me. I'm going to pray for others who are not at all like me. I'm going to pray for people or situations or circumstances or officials that I don't even like. Stretch, push your prayer life out that way and see what that does for you in terms of coming closer to him. Our Lord invites us to be restored from refutility into fruitful and fullness of life in following Him. These are some ways that we could do that. But it's all about relationship around Him, right? And some of that sounds intriguing. Some of that says, well, yeah, but, Pastor, hold on. You don't know me. 
You don't know what's inside me. You don't know where I've been. That sounds neat and tidy, but I don't think it can work for me because if you knew me like I knew me, you would not be inviting me to come closer. In fact, because I know me, I know what's inside of me, I, I'm not sure I can come closer. In fact, truth be told, I don't think, maybe you're thinking, I don't think God wants me to come closer. I don't think I can. There is stuff in me, there is places I have been, I have wandered afar, and I don't think there is a way back. But remember, this is, this is Peter's story. This is Peter's story. This is the Peter who has experienced those regrets. This is the Peter who knows what it is to cover himself, to try to preserve himself at the cost of denying his Savior. This is the Peter who's told in advance, you're going to deny me three times. He says, no way, Jesus. I would lay down my life for you. And yet before the cross crows twice, he denies him three times and when after the third denial he looks up and he sees Jesus and Peter went out and wept bitterly there is a time for weeping there is a time for regret there is a time for that hopeless cry what have I done but this is not that time this is this is Easter This is the time of resurrection from the dead. This is the... Do you think that you have further to return from than Peter who denied the Lord? Do you think you have further to return then from Jesus himself who actually went to death and back for us so that we could come near? This is Peter's story. In fact, Peter already knows that. That's why he jumps out of the boat. That's why he, Luke's gospel tells us that after Jesus appeared to Mary right there by the tomb, before he appears to the disciples gathered together, Peter is off by himself and Jesus goes to Peter. Peter who had denied him. Even if he was risen, Peter, could it ever be the same? Oh, yeah. Peter has already met the risen Savior personally even before that, and he has experienced his forgiveness. That's why he jumps out of the boat. That's why he can't wait to get to shore. And what happens next is what Jesus does, how Jesus publicly, the risen Savior, restores Peter out in the open in front of everybody. Let's look at, the, at, at, at verses, let me see, at 15 to 19 of John chapter 21. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? More than all the others? Peter answered somewhat less. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He doesn't need to compare himself. He said to him, Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you are young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands like on a cross and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. John adds an explanation. This he said to show by what kind of death Peter was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. 
All right. There's Peter. Peter's restored right out, right out in the open. He's already experienced that personal forgiveness. And now before everybody, three times he denied him. Three times Jesus gives him the opportunity, the invitation to respond publicly, I love you, Lord. In front of all the others, Jesus questions him. He responds with love. His love covers a multitude of sins. And Jesus recommissions him. Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Tend my sheep. Three times he commissions him again that there is no doubt among anyway. The, the denial has all been set aside. The failure has all been set aside. I don't know what it is, but allow whatever that failure is, whatever it is that haunts you, allow that to be covered by Christ's forgiveness. And simply, resp- all, the only way you can respond to his forgiveness is not what I'll do for you, not comparing myself to anybody else. The only way you can respond is, I love you. I love the one who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the only response there is. And that's Peter's response. And, y- and did you see how it was secured? The third time he asked him, do you love me? And Peter, Peter doesn't base that final response. He doesn't base it on his own assurances. He bases it on the Lord himself. You know all things, so you know that I love you. Our salvation, our security, our forgiveness is not based on us. It's based on the Lord. It's based on what the Lord knows. He is the one who restores us, and he restores Peter to relationship with him, to relationship with the others. The one who has denied the Lord is welcomed, warmly received back into the fold. You don't have to be left out. There's nobody left out here. Jesus initiates the restoration. Did you get that? Jesus calls on Peter. Jesus calls out Peter. Jesus draws in Peter. And if you're experiencing some of that this morning, it's not of you. It's not a nervousness within you. It's perhaps the Lord calling you. He says, that's right. That forgiveness, that invitation, that calling forward, that's, that's from the Lord speaking to us this morning. Jesus is the one who initiates it. And how is Peter going to live out this new life then? What's it going to look like? It's not going to be, I'm going fishing. No, it's going to be tend my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Peter is going to live out this new life in giving himself away for others. And as he gives himself for others, like Jesus, who didn't come to serve, to be served, but to serve and to give his life for others, as Peter steps into that, he's going to know his Savior even more deeply. And as he knows his Savior more deeply, he's going to love his Savior more fully. And as he loves his Savior more fully, he is going to give himself all the more away for others and away for the gospel so that what it will be true something Jesus knows about Peter that Peter thought about himself but realizes wasn't true but Jesus says is true Peter will give his life ultimately for the sake of the gospel and his Lord who died for him isn't it interesting that Jesus is the one now that says by the way Peter you are going to be that faithful he's going to be that faithful because he's doing it by the power by the restoration of the risen savior that's where you and I can walk that's the life that we want to walk in like he knew Peter he knows you and I our Lord knows you and I. He knows how we've lived. He knows we, how we have not, and still he calls us. Will you come? He calls us to have this life with him, this fullness of life that's, that's, that's fuller than anything that otherwise would distract us and occupy us and draw us aside. 
He would have us press in to know him, walk with him, serve him. Give ourselves away like he did, not because there's stuff to be done, but because as I do that, as I give myself for others, I know something more of my Savior. Peter jumped in. How about you and I? You know, let me go back to that egg story again. That egg that was close to being scrapped, that was close to being melted down for the essential intrinsic worth of the weight of gold and the few jewels that were on it. That egg that was worth far more than anybody realized. That egg is you and I. We are worth more not just because of the intrinsic worth of our material beings. We are worth more because of, like that Fabergé egg, who made us and, who, and what we were made for. That's where the worth is. We were made in the very image of God by the creator of the universe that we might represent him, that we might rule with his son, that we would be his representations before all of creation. We were made by him and for him. And we can live that life through him. You are that very precious created thing that the master so valued that he gave his own life for you. So, this morning, maybe you can identify, yes, I know what it is. I'm going to ask you actually to just, um, be, I'm not, I'm not going to ask you to jump in. I know we have a baptismal back here, but we're not going to go that far. We're not going to step that far into Peter. But I'm going to ask you to respond in a way. One of those ways is that communication card. If there's something along these lines that I'm going to describe that you would like me to pray for you about, follow up with you about, I would be happy to do that. Use that communication card. When the offering comes out, by, never mind the offering, just put that in. I will give myself in this place where God has spoken to me this morning. If one of these is true, I'm going to invite you right now to... to to just stand. I expect what I'm about to say is going to impact in one way or another all of us. So if, don't don't all stand yet. I haven't got there yet. This is a ready group. Okay. Okay. This is how I want us to respond. If this is true, can you join me in this? I've been busy with distraction and I want to press closer to Jesus. I've been busy with distractions. I want to press closer to Jesus. If that's true, then stand. I've been busy with distraction. I want to press closer to Jesus. I have been looking out for myself. I want to give myself to serving the Lord instead. I'm tired of looking out for myself. I want to instead serve Him. I've been like that coal out of the fire. I've been pulled aside. I need to get back in. I need to get back in close, close to others and closer to the Lord. I have heard Jesus' invitation this morning. I believe that he is risen and I want to follow him. I've believed before, but I want to follow more. That's us this morning, isn't it? That's us this morning. Now I'm going to ask you to do one more thing as we pray. We're going to pray right now. But also, 
If there is something that's pressing on you, something you say, I really want a serious, I want to be sure I take the next step this morning before the time's gone. Even while we're singing two closing songs, I want to invite you. There's an alcove over here. There's also a corner in the foyer at the back. And some of our elders, their wives, some of our church leaders, they'll be available here and there. We would be happy to pray with you, give you some help. What, how could I step into this from here? We're going to pray right now and ask God's blessing as well on our time of offering. But I really want this more than anything else. Let's, like Peter, let's jump out of the safety of the boat. Let's give ourselves to him this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we do confess our busyness and distraction. We can be like Martha's, busy in many things. We want to instead draw closer to our Savior. Father, we confess that we have been busy looking out for ourselves. We have looked out for ourselves through life, but we know that we can trust ourselves to you. Lord, we want to follow in Jesus' steps. We want to, we want to look out for others instead. Would you give us the courage to do that? Father, we have been like that coal pulled apart. We've gone our own way. We've wandered into our own things. We've wandered away from the fellowship of other Christians with whom we can follow Jesus. Lord, we turn from that. We come back. We want to press in close again. We hear this morning. There are some who hear this morning Jesus' invitation to come to him, the risen Savior, and be restored into life in Christ. Lord, would you... Would you draw that one this morning? Give them the courage they need to listen to that prodding that is beyond themselves, that is actually the invitation of the risen Savior, that they would come and before they leave, they would speak to another this morning of how they can know Jesus as their Savior by believing in him. Lord, we ask your blessing on those who give themselves to you this morning. And out of this, as we give ourselves to you, Lord, freely then receive what we might devote into this offering to be used for your glory. Lord, more than anything else, use our lives for your glory. And this we pray in Jesus' name.